welcome to the College Financial Aid and Career Navigation Podcast. Tom and Maria Geffers of Career and College Counselors, along with nationally recognized college financial aid expert Seth Green, teach two things. How to cut the cost of college tuition an average of $19,077 per child per year, and how to land your dream job after you graduate by choosing the right career and major. To get access to more information on how you can make the right choice, simply register at www.careercollegecounselors.com connect. To find out how to save an average of $19,077 per year per child on college tuition, go to www.howtofindmoneyforcollege.com. On the podcast, Tom, Maria, and Seth bring together leading experts in their fields who have experience in the college admission and career application process. They share their secrets so you can do it too. And now, here's your hosts, Tom, Maria, and Seth. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another podcast with Tom and Maria. I'm Maria Geffers. And I am Tom Geffers. And today's podcast, like all of our podcasts, is a resource for families and students to check in on and to uh, see if these uh, careers and uh, are of interest to you and uh, something that you can follow up on. Which is great because uh, you're talking to the experts. You don't have to dilly-dally worry on Mr. Google. Right. You can just check our experts and uh, find out the real truth. Alrighty, so I'd like to welcome our guest, Mark Belchak, and uh, his career is financial advisors. And the question that we're going to ask uh, Mark and he's going to talk about is what does it take to be a successful financial advisor? Thank you so much, Mark, for coming. We appreciate it. Oh, you're both very welcome. Glad to be here. Great, great. Well, we always start off with uh, our guests telling us who they are, what they do, and uh, what was their aha moment. So why don't you take tell us the story? All right. Uh, very interesting. Again, uh, my name is Mark Belsack. I've been in the financial industry. Next year, I'll be celebrating my 28th year. Wow. Seems like forever. <laughs> but um, it, it's it's definitely been uh, an interesting path for anyone who's been following the financial markets. Um, it's, you know, if you're not involved on a day-to-day, you might, uh, might take you back. But if you are involved, it's pretty exciting. So um, over the last 28 years, uh, relatively straightforward, been on the buy side, which is really supporting clients. Um, There's a big differentiation, which we we may get into at some point in this conversation of what differentiates the buy side and the sell side. But specifically, I work for individuals um, in helping them create somewhat of a retirement plan Um, everything's goals-based, so whatever in life that they're looking to achieve, I help them come up with the right plan to successfully get them from point A to point B. Uh, My aha moment. Interestingly enough, uh, I did not start in this this career path through college. Uh, When I started college, I felt the need to pick a major and and not go the liberal, liberal arts route and you know, figure it out three, four years down the road. So um, trying to determine what it is that I was interested in doing. My dad was a chemical engineer. Uh, I knew that I had an interest in cars. I, I <laughs> thought roller coasters were fascinating. And I thought, huh, mechanical engineering. 
that could apply to both of those. I'm pretty good at math. I'm okay at science and seem like a fairly logical route. Well, that was my freshman year in college. Fall semester, sophomore year, I'm sitting there in physics with Calc 2 and <laughs> statics and dynamics on my curriculum. And I said, this isn't really fun. <laughs> so uh, at that time, my stepmother was a portfolio manager for a major bank and she had been in the industry for a while. And so I talked to her about what it is that she does. And I said, yeah, that, that seems a little bit more, more my pace. And so spring semester of my sophomore year, uh, I changed curriculums and started in the business program and actually started enjoying myself. It seemed as though the classes I was taking was uh, made more sense to me, seemed a little more applicable to, to where I saw my future. And the rest is, as they say, history. But if, if there's going to be an aha moment, it's probably sitting in that class <laughs> wondering, what am I doing? I've got, you know, engineering is typically a five-year program. So I've got four more years of this. Right. Not really sure I want to <laughs> want to keep doing this. Well, that was good that you, you were there and you had that realization early on. It would yeah. have been terrible yes. if you had continued on and then it would have been, oh, yeah. Lordy. I, I wish I knew the two of you back then because <laughs> I would have taken the uh, the Berkman test to that would have decided that engineering's not for you. Uh, maybe I would have had a little bit of a better head start. Well, that's a common problem that we come across uh, on a regular basis. And it's amazing. We speak to people around the country uh, about different careers. And a lot of them start off with something totally different. Mm -hmm. And they evolve into yeah. something that they are currently doing. But um, the term financial advisor and financial planner connote like a broad range of services. How would you describe the job as a financial advisor today? Yeah, so the, the industry has changed quite a bit because the expectations from our client base has also changed quite a bit. So back in the day when I started and even in the, which is 94, and even in the, uh, the, the 80s and, and the 70s as well, being a broker was literally someone to help facilitate trades, buying and selling stocks or bonds or whatever your specialty was. And it's, it's very different than a financial advisor or a financial planner today. It's become a lot more uh, all-encompassing. You know, when I started my career, I actually, my first job was with First Fidelity uh, in their trust department. So I was working with trusts uh, and estates and uh, obviously individuals looking for more retirement planning needs. Now, I feel like that piece has bled a lot more into the traditional broker position. Uh, there really aren't very many people who just buy and sell because let's be honest, you can do that yourself today. Mm -hmm. Right. So the role has really expanded to incorporate a, a lot more of the retirement planning aspect of things and how to juggle all of the bumps in the road between wherever you are today and, and for the rest of your life, whether it's, um, you know, transfer of assets or charitable giving or tax planning um, estate planning for that matter. So it, it's a lot more involved and I wouldn't necessarily say that there's such a fine line between the two careers. It, it's really blurred quite a bit. So now I find myself in a role where I'm really handling uh, all aspects of estate and retirement planning. And so we've gotten to be experts in a little bit of everything. 
Right. I, you hear the word uh, fiduciary around a lot, especially on the internet and some commercials. What exactly is the definition of a fiduciary? Sure. So I am a fiduciary. Uh, what that means is essentially that you need to put your client's interests before your own. And where that really factors in is obviously the investments that you do, uh, the strategies that you're putting in place, the plans that you're building are truly putting the client's interests before your own. You know, whether you're selecting a particular uh, share class of fund that you're investing in that may be more cost effective for your client as opposed to buying the one that has the highest commission for you. Uh, as fiduciaries, it, it, in my opinion, helps alleviate a lot of questions after we're making recommendations, right? So if you're, if you're putting your client's interests before your own, there's not a lot of second guessing on, well, you know, why did you recommend that particular fund? Is there really something that we need to know more about? Is, is there a higher commission for this? And that's why you're making the recommendation or, you know, questioning turnover. We're truly always putting our clients' interests before our own. Uh, and that's a regulatory issue, right? If you don't, you get in a lot of trouble for it. Right, right. Many of the uh, students that we do assessments on will show uh, like a strong uh, tendency to enter the financial field, which is such a broad, you know, term, financial field. Sure. You have many, many different things. What would you say are some of the top skills required to be successful in, in that field or your field? So again, everybody's different. Uh, when you're talking about the financial industry, you've got um, a little more introverted leaning positions if you're a financial analyst or you're maybe working in the accounting department for large corporations, you're maybe not dealing with people as much. Right. But if you're a financial advisor or a financial planner, you're, you're more client facing. Uh, so I'm going to give everyone the same advice that I've actually given my kids who are in, are looking to do different things. Um, and it's, it's a little non-traditional. So what I would really focus on is ensuring that you expose yourselves to some degree of um, human behavior classes, okay? Reason being is I don't care what your role is. If you're financial, if you're interested in the financial industry, if you're interested in being a doctor, if you're interested in being um, a teacher, you're always going to find yourself in a position where you're dealing with other people. Right. And so that human behavior class gives you an opportunity to learn a little bit more about different personalities and how to work with them, right? So I, I feel as though that's an important piece in learning on how to work with people, regardless of the industry you're interested in, that it's important to understand how to adapt the way that you communicate so that anybody can understand you. And the second piece that I've, sorry, forced my kids to do is get involved in public speaking. Mm -hmm. So whether it's a public speaking class, whether there's an opportunity through your high school to make uh, public announcements, you know, when I, back when I was in school, we used to have morning meetings, used to, to make announcements to the entire school. But getting involved in public speaking, again, the more comfortable you are conveying the message that you're trying to convey, you can learn how to be more concise, more effective, and efficient. 
So whether or not that's a role that you are going to find yourself in a position where you're speaking to, um, you know, a half a dozen people, dozens of people, hundreds, if not thousands of people, getting a little bit more comfortable in being able to convey the message that you're looking to convey is always going to be beneficial. And so that ties in with the human behavior piece because everyone listens differently. So um, for someone who's interested in becoming a financial advisor, it is a client-facing role more often than not. I think those two pieces far outweigh any of the, you know, accounting twos or microeconomics and financial advice, uh, financial uh, advisor roles are all about building relationships. And so being able to, to formulate that relationship, become a trusting um, financial contact. That's, that's what I think is most important. Right. No, I I agree with that. I think knowing that people see and hear things differently, we all don't hear it the same way, the same you know, there's just so much, uh, you know, uh, misunderstanding because of the way that we hear it than the way sure. the person spoke it. So very, very important. With all of the uh, changes that are going on in the financial world, I mean, every day you watch, you know, the news and there's a new regulation, there's a new law that affects your finances. Uh, <clears throat> how do you keep current, you know, with the changes that are going on? Other than the news. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. And depending on the industry that you're in, is, is that's going to determine the level at which you need to understand this and, and to what degree. So uh, because I, I help my clients with retirement planning, it's important to keep the big picture in check. So unfortunately, a lot of what you're hearing in the headlines, it, much of it doesn't really come to fruition. And so it's understanding the psychological impact it's going to have on moving markets and you know really taking a closer look at whether this has a fundamental impact at all so i like to explain the markets in this way to my clients which i think is important in answering your question is that the long-term trajectory of the markets is really based on fundamentals so if the economy is doing reasonably well if there's an opportunity for growth if companies are reporting good earnings and their outlook is positive, that's pretty much what you need in order for your longer term returns to be there. Right. Much of the volatility that happens, in my opinion, is really psychologically based. There's a lot of fear and irrational behavior that factors in on a day-to-day basis. And that you can just do by watching the market at its open throughout the day and how it closes. And there's been several instances the other week There was news on a Chinese real estate company that was potentially not able to, um, they weren't financially solvent. And so that really spooked the markets in the beginning of the day. But as the information started to get digested, by the end of the day, we didn't finish off as badly. And the next few days, the market recovered. Same thing with COVID fears. It seems to spark a lot of concern about what's the trajectory of the economy and whether or not um, there's going to be any long-term impacts. So being able to differentiate what's a short-term irrational movement in the market and what's truly a fundamental crack in the system, that's a really big deal. And being able to effectively convey this to your clients is going to be incredibly important. Uh, Over the last 
two years, especially through the pandemic, it, it's been that much more important to be able to talk your clients through their fears, establish a plan, whether it's the same plan or a change in plan, and ensure that they know that you're there for them and you're keeping an eye out on everything that's going on. Right. So going back to your comment about how you loved roller coasters, you can almost say that, you know, what you're doing is actually enjoying roller coasters, <laughs> the ups and the downs yeah. of, Probably more ups, of yeah. the, yes, of the, of the market. So you kind yeah. of are still enjoying that roller coaster ride, if you will, Mark. <laughs> yeah, now, now I'm not building them. Uh, I'm just riding, them. Uh, you know, That's and um, it's, uh, listen, everyone can be an expert when the market's doing well. <laughs> and when you take a look at 2019, and one would argue uh, second, third, and fourth quarter of last year, uh, it's really easy to be an expert. The value that we bring to the table as a financial advisor and certainly as a fiduciary is to provide opportunity when it's, it's not as clear. Mm -hmm. right. And when we're talking about achieving your goals and objectives, sometimes it's not always, well, the S&P is up 10, let's be up 12. In fact, in, in, in my role, the more important variable is the S&P's down 10, let's protect as best as we can. Mm -hmm. and, and that's the piece that often goes overlooked uh, and that's, in my opinion, the most critical part of being a financial advisor is, is finding ways to protect assets and still be there to capitalize off of when the market does well. Because inevitably, as, as time has proven year after year, the market's going to recover. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, going to, uh, and you always, you brought this out, always working with a professional is so important. Uh, many of us have gotten used to just going on Mr. Google and doing things, but sure. you know, uh, professionals know what they're doing. They know, as you said, the good, the bad, and the ugly type of things. When everything is going well, that's wonderful. You don't need them, but it's when things get a little up and down is when the professional really stands out. And, you know, I always encourage our listeners to go to professionals. You know, sure. you need to really uh, have an understanding of what the professionals do. So thanks. Right. Uh, I love this piece. Your motto is don't wait for the perfect moment. Take the moment and make it perfect. Right. How has that guided your life? If you're always waiting for the moment to be perfect, you're going to miss a lot of opportunities. And so whether it's your career, whether it's your family life, whether it's your friends, you're really making the best of, of a situation. Uh, inevitably, you're, you're going to have more good times than bad. And so being proactive, uh, taking control of your life, taking control of your career, taking control of the current circumstances, it's very easy to get overwhelmed these days. Mm -hmm. You know, it's unfortunate that headlines are, are often negative. I mean, you know, you don't, you, you don't tune in to the news and say, stay tuned at six o'clock when we're going to talk about lottery winners, babies, rainbows, and unicorns. Mm -hmm. It's always death, destruction, misery, and it's, it's real tough to avoid that. And it's very easy to get bogged down by that. Mm -hmm. So always looking for optimism, always looking for whether or not um, there's a fundamental shift in the markets. 
will keep you on solid ground. You know, uh, as I explained, this year has been incredibly volatile and it's very easy to get overwhelmed by a lot of the headline news. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, if you break things down to their core, the fundamentals are actually pretty good. Mm -hmm. So looking at each moment, not sitting and waiting for the perfect time, you can make the best of any circumstance. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, as far as my career is concerned, I started in 94. So uh, there was um, uh, shortly after Black Monday in 87, uh, you've got the dot-com bubble in uh, 2000. Uh, you've got the, the huge bear market in uh, 2008 and 2009. Uh, uh, we've got uh, COVID. So it, it, you could very easily have just buried yourself under a rock and waited for things to pass, but you're doing yourself, your clients a disservice. Uh, all of my clients in each of those periods, we created the right path for them. Uh, we, we were proactive in, in finding a way to get them success in some pretty trying times. Right, right. In all professions, um, you know, we have the ups and the downs, as you said, but the the personal attachments, the personal touches that we make are the ones that we remember the most. Can you tell me of a specific, without revealing names, but a, a specific uh, person who really you helped and, you know, it made everything like you were in the right profession, you know, that it was one of those people that you hold on to when things are not doing well, you can remember, oh, I know, I remember I did this for this person. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. sure. Yeah. In, in this role, uh, relationships are huge. That, that really circles back to my recommendations on uh, how, to, how to add some of those peripheral classes to get you a little bit more comfortable working with people. Some of the tough experiences that we need to go through, unfortunately, in this industry is clients get older, you build that relationship, and then at some point in time, clients pass away. So it's working with surviving spouses, it's working with um, families of, of those clients that have passed away that makes it really, really difficult. And that's a time where the value that we bring to, to ensure that the surviving spouse is, is aware that they're in good financial shape and helping them really be able to focus on the things that at that point in time are most important, it, it is very rewarding. And so I'll give you a particular example. Um, this was 2017, uh, met a husband and wife. The husband was in really bad shape. Uh, his health had been declining, but he had always been the person at, that did the finances. And so his wife knew his condition, uh, knew that um, he did not have much time left, but really wanted him to just enjoy his, his uh, remaining days, remaining weeks, remaining months. And so I found that in building this relationship, I was working more with her because she didn't want her husband to know that he, he really had weeks to live. Um, she wanted him to just be able to enjoy the time that he had left to spend. But the challenge was that they had an annuity that they were bringing over. And not to go into details on how annuities work, but one of the components is the death benefit. And so in working with her, I found that, that if we were able to move her into another annuity, 
we would be able to capture a higher death benefit for her while still increasing the amount of income that they were able to draw down from it. And so it was a very sensitive time in trying to convey to the husband where you don't want to come across and say, well, we want to increase the death benefit because that's incredibly insensitive, but really try and cater the conversation so that both individuals understood that this truly was in their best interest. It would benefit them today with more income. It would benefit her tomorrow by being able to lock in a higher death benefit. And at the end of the day, um, you know, it was, she was much, uh, much appreciative of how delicate the situation was and that we were able to really work them through. And uh, it's, it was a tough time. It was obviously tough to lose a client, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but it's also very rewarding in, in knowing that you put the surviving spouse, his wife, in a much better financial circumstance. She felt very comfortable in the communication that we had, and she knew that she was in good hands now that her husband had passed away and he really had dealt with all of the finances. So mm -hmm. it's tricky conversations like that, learning how to address a very sensitive um, a very sensitive time and ultimately, it, you know, putting her in a better financial position uh, was, I guess, very rewarding. Sure. Right. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So it makes, uh, makes the job worthwhile getting up in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Do those kind of things. Um, now, I've been in finances in, in the past insurance and I've had a few circumstances like that as well. And, uh, you know, that's what it's all about. Um, before we close, uh, Mark, I wanted to uh, thank you, first of all, for all the great information you gave us. Uh, of course. Students who are thinking about going into uh, being a financial advisor, what they need, especially dealing with the public, public right. speaking, and all of those uh, talents that you need and you should develop. And uh, if there's something, if somebody wants to uh, get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to do that? So the best way would be to email me. Uh, my email is mark at askmtm.com. Uh, that's my work email. Mm -hmm. And of course, any questions or, uh, you know, anything, any further detail needed on some of the things that I discussed, uh, I'm happy to help any way that I can. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, of course. I really appreciate it. And as you said, it's... It, mm -hmm. It has, um, you are reaching people and touching them many times at their most vulnerable times. So, right. sure. Um, you know, thank you for doing that. It's really of course. Wonderful. Uh, before we go, I did have one more piece of advice. Sure. Um, for anyone who isn't really sure what they want to do and they know generally what they want to do, internships are critical. Yes. Uh, I did two internships in my college career. One was working for no one listening to this will remember, but United Jersey Bank in Princeton. Um, and I also did an internship for a brokerage firm. And that really helped me understand both sides of the business and more importantly, what I did not want to do. So sometimes internships, not only are they great for your resume, right. it's great to build up experience, but it can help you learn what you love to do. And maybe even more importantly, what you don't want to do. So I would highly advise uh, lots and lots of internships. Absolutely. We, we agree with that job shadowing internships. Very, very important. Uh, you know, you can't getting your hands dirty, so to speak, in the profession is what you need to do. Sure. Good. Thank you. 
Well, thanks a lot, Mark, uh, for being with us. And I'm Maria Geffers. And I am Tom Geffers. And we will see you next week with another expert in careers, college, and financial aid. Thank you again, Mark. Be good. You're welcome. Take care. technical problem. Yeah, I am sorry. Uh, it's a new wrap. I'm looking for the record. We are still recording just in case you yep. know that. So, and they're going to have to edit this out. Um, Tom, I, oh, here it is up here. Thank you, Lord. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer.